Good morning. It's good to see so many people here. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the book of Esther and the third chapter, I want to hopefully bring some thoughts to you this morning that are uh, what I consider pretty relevant to uh, our current situation in our nation and the world. And I want to read to you just for a moment out of Esther, the third chapter. And I'm not going to read a ton of it here for the sake of time. But uh, let's start reading in about verse 8. Now, before we start reading, it's really important to understand uh, what's going on at this point. Uh, The Jews, God's people, are in captivity to the land of Persia. And there is a a king whose name is uh, Ahasuerus. Very strange name for us, but uh, King Ahasuerus. And his right-hand man is a man named Haman, who is a very prideful man, very, very wicked man. And one of the customs that the king uh, instituted was when Haman comes into a room or uh, when he is in the presence of all the princes of Persia, that they are to bow down and give him reverence. So if Haman comes in, everybody would kind of bow down and acknowledge him. Well, there's one man who is a Jew whose name is Mordecai who will not do it. And some of the princes began to talk to him. It was like, Mordecai, listen, you need to bow down when, uh, when Haman comes in. And Mordecai refuses to do it continually. So they go to Haman and they say, hey, hey, listen, there's this one guy who's disrespecting you. And his name is Mordecai. When he's supposed to be bowing and showing you reverence, he will not. And so Haman, in his pride and his anger, he goes to the king with a very, very wicked plan. And we'll start reading about that plan in verse 8. And it says, And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. Think about this now. Here you have a nation of Persia with their own set of laws, and now intermixed with them are God's people who have their own sets of laws. And Haman goes to the king and he says, this thing is not good. It's not good that we've got God's people intermixed amongst our people. And he says, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And he took and the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the Jews enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Really, Haman is the original Hitler. If you think about it, here Haman is saying, we got to get rid of all the Jews. And it says, the king agrees to it. And then, they, then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language in the name of the king Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, 
which is the month of Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. So, if I could title the sermon this morning, I would title it, Are You Perplexed? Now, every now and then we get something in our lives that perplexes us. And the word perplexed there means a great confusion. Uh, if you remember... Um, not too many years ago, uh, one thing that I noticed that would be very common was when there was this big uh, insurance issue and, you know, Obamacare and all of that and all the promises that were made about Obamacare. I noticed a lot of people, including myself uh, and a lot of my friends, began getting letters in the mail and they'd open those letters up and they'd say, hey, you know, you still have your insurance, don't worry. But sometimes the premium for that insurance would double or triple. And I remember that there were a lot of people that were just really confused during that time. You know, they hey, I thought we could keep our insurance and I thought nothing was really going to change. And all of a sudden I go from paying $500 a month to $1,500 a month. And we were a little perplexed by that, right? Well, I want you to imagine that you get a letter in the mail and you open it up and it's signed and sealed by the president of the United States that says every person that is a Christian is going to be killed on the 12th day of December or the 13th day of December if, if we use their calendar. On the 13th day of December, everybody that is a Christian is going to be killed. Now you're just be bopping along through your life, right? Day-to-day -day activities, you go to work, you raise your kids, you, you see your friends, you eat, you have a good time, you watch a little TV, you read your Bible, you study your Bible, and bam, out of nowhere... There's a death sentence put on your head simply because of who you are. Not because of what you've done, just because of who you are. Now, that is a level of being perplexed that I cannot comprehend, right? Great confusion. Don't you know the Jews were running around saying, what's going on? Have you, can you, anybody explain this to me? Can you tell me why this is happening? Uh, I, I notice in here in the decree that it even says little children. You mean to tell me that when it comes to be the 13th day of the 12th month that they're going to come in here with swords and they're going to wipe us all out? Can you feel the confusion that they might have felt? <clears throat> and it says they were perplexed. They're looking at society and they're looking at what's going on in society and they just can't make sense of it. So the question is, are you perplexed? When you look at our society and you look at the things that are going on in our nation, do you ever just stand back and kind of scratch your head and, and just feel perplexed? I know I sure do. Because listen, tomorrow you will pick up the paper, which not a whole lot of people do that anymore. You'll pick up the paper or you'll pick up your phone or you'll turn the TV on and somebody will be reporting to you something that's going on. And maybe it's not today, but who knows what's coming tomorrow that's going to make us stand back and just scratch our heads and say, what in the world is going on? And it feels like maybe lately, it feels like it's easy for us to live in a constant state of being perplexed. Am I the only one? But you turn on the news, people are rioting. 
You know, four, four years ago, a man won the presidency that nobody thought he would win. And not long ago, a man lost the presidency that nobody thought he would lose. We've got people rioting all over the place, killing people, burning things, and you just stand back sometimes and you say, what in the world is going on? I feel what these Jews possibly felt when they got this decree from the king and you say, I just, what is, what's going on? What's happening to our world? Now, let's look at a few more examples of some perplexing things. Go to Luke, the 24th chapter, for just a second. And I'm going to hopefully tie all these in for you. Luke, the 24th chapter. <clears throat> this is after Jesus has been crucified and buried. Jesus has been crucified and buried, and it's very early one morning that there is a group of women that, that come to the grave, come to the tomb of Jesus. And in verse 1, it says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, that's the tomb, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Now, here to uh, here's a group of women that have followed Jesus, who have loved Jesus, who have seen great things He has done, and they have a very special connection with Him. They've seen Him be beaten and crucified. They've seen Him taken off the cross and wrapped, and they've seen Him laid in the tomb. And they're coming with some spices and things to, to visit that grave, to visit that tomb. Now, all of us have been to funerals. All of us have been to a graveside. And probably most all of us have taken flowers or some sort of little token to a grave. How perplexed would you be if you went to visit or put flowers on somebody's grave that you loved and you looked down when you got there and they're not there? There's a big hole and the casket and everything is gone. What would you do? You'd be like, oh, that makes perfect sense. No, you'd stand back and be like, what in the world has happened? You would be very perplexed, right? Yeah. Well, here are these ladies that they go in, the, they go there and they see the tomb rolled away and, and they're brave enough to stick their head in and look around into that tomb and he's not there. All human logic tells you what? He's supposed to be there, right? As a matter of fact, if I read the Bible correctly, there were guards standing there. Roman guards standing at the grave of Jesus, but they can't find him. And they begin to scratch their head and they're perplexed. Let me give you one more example. This may be rather an odd example, but I thought it ties in very well. If you want to, turn to the book of Joel. When was the last time you heard that? Turn to the book of Joel. In Joel, the first chapter, let me read this to you in verse 18. It says, How do the beast groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed. That's what we're talking about. The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. Now, I want you to think about the old cow that sits in his pasture. For a cow, his pasture is everything, right? That's all he's got. A cow's pasture is where he's able to drink. It's where he sleeps. 
It's where he rests. It's where primarily where he feeds and where he gets his nourishment and is sustained for this life. But here you've got these cattle. Picture it. Picture it. They're standing in a wasteland of a pasture. There's no grass. It's just bare dirt. And they're looking around at the fences and there's nothing there to sustain them. And even the old cow looks at this and says, this is not how it should be. And they're somewhat perplexed by that. They're confused by that. Now, let me give let me talk about those three examples real quick. In one example, you've got the Jews in the time when they were captives in Persia. Very perplexed why a decree has been made that they are all going to die. You have women going to the tomb of Jesus looking for him and they can't find him and they are very perplexed. And then you got the cattle and the sheep standing in their fields looking for something to nourish them, looking at their homeland and it's not like it should be. And they are very perplexed. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians for just a second. I want to read a verse to you here. Every single one of us especially nowadays, probably deal with being perplexed, deal with confusion, deal with just looking at the way things are going and scratching our heads saying, what is going on? What, what happened to the way things were 50, 60, 70 years ago? What has happened to the family structure? What has happened to the churches? What has happened to the government? What has happened to our schools? What in the world is going on? And you're perplexed about that, aren't you? You have to be careful. We will all be perplexed. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being perplexed. But you got to be careful because the natural progression of being perplexed will lead you into despair. Now, let me give you an example of that. When I was in school, really any grade, pick your grade. But let's just say high school. Teacher gets up there and, uh, you know, one, one thing I learned about school and, and students, you can, you can take this from me. Things are a lot easier if you listen to the teacher when she's teaching, you know, a lot easier. But maybe sometimes I would drift off and I wouldn't be paying attention. And the teacher teaches something, then she gives us homework and she sends us home with the homework. And I have no clue what she's been talking about that day. And I sit down with that homework and I look at this stuff and I am so confused about whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish with this homework, that I sit there enough in that confusion, and eventually I just throw my hands up and say, this is hopeless, I can't do this. And I shut my book and I just get frustrated. That's despair. Being confused and staying in a constant state of confusion, if you don't keep your feet grounded, you will end up in despair. Right. Listen, God's people are going to be perplexed. But we don't need to be tossing and turning at night about the way things are. That's being in despair, right? And what does Paul say here? Second Corinthians four, verse eight. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And notice what he says. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You see, Paul says, yeah, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. Peter's perplexed. John is. We all are. But we are not in despair, Amen. meaning that, yeah, I'm confused and a little bit bewildered at the way things are going, 
but I have not lost hope. Despair is the loss of hope. But they say, I haven't lost hope. How is it? Here's the key. How can we live in a society in a time when everything seems to perplex the child of God, yet not lose hope? It's perplexing to me. You know, now, and and I've said many times, you know, now what we define marriage as, that's perplexing to me. How did we ever get there? Abortion is, 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 is uh, legal. How did, how did we ever get there? We've taken God out of schools. How did we ever get there? And you, you sit back and you just are confused by those things. But how do you live in a society that perplexes you so much but not lose hope? Let me go to Genesis real quick as we begin to wind this up. In Genesis, the 22nd chapter is probably one of the most perplexing situations that you will read about in the Bible. I I have struggled at times to wrap my mind around it. And that's the account of when God comes to Abraham and he tells him to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. That's perplexing. Are you with me? That's perplexing to me. And if you notice in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, and I'm not going to read it there. I'm not going to read all of it. God comes to Abraham and he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. That is more perplexing than the Jew living in Persia going to the store and seeing the decree that says on the 13th day of the 12th month, every Jew is going to die. That's more perplexing. What, Lord? Take my only only son, take my son and offer him. And Abraham does what the Lord says. It says he rose up early in the morning. It says he saddled his ass, took two of his young men. He took Isaac, he took the wood, and he went to where God told him to. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young, young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham goes as far as taking Isaac and binding him and laying him on the wood and raising up the knife in the air. But I've read through this account many times. Let me tell you, as perplexing as this situation is and as much cause as Abraham had for despair, why is it that we don't find Abraham in despair? It's because Abraham believed the promises of God. That's why. What is the promise of God? Let's go back in time to Genesis, the 17th chapter. Verse 15, I'm running out of time, so let me read. And God said unto Abraham, as far as for Sarah, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Here's a promise. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And Sarah that is ninety years old? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. You know, in my own silly kind of mind, that's a hundred-year-old man saying, Look, can't we just use Ishmael? Because we're done with the diapers and the bottles and the car seats and teaching things to read. No, we're done with all that. And I'm a hundred years old. I don't have it in me, Lord. 
But Abraham says, can't we just use Ishmael? Now you Bible readers tell me what other verse in the Bible this sounds like. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Boy, that doesn't sound like Matthew 121. What a picture of Christ right here. Before God ever tells Abraham, take your son into the mountain and sacrifice him. He promises him one that he will have a son and two that his name will be Isaac and three that he will establish an everlasting covenant with his seed after him, meaning he's got to be old enough to start having kids. And so when God goes to Abraham and says, take him up into the mount. There's a promise that's been made before that. And in a situation that should be very perplexing to Abraham, it's not at all perplexing. He may say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. And I don't understand how this is going to play out. But I know you've promised me something. That I will see this son raised and I'll see him be, uh, I'll see nations come from him. And we read over in Hebrews, the 17th chapter, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises, promises there, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now notice this verse, talking about holding on to the promises of God. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. That's holding on to the promises of God. God comes to Abraham. He says, Abraham, take your son up and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham says, I'll do it, Lord, because you've promised me that he will be uh, his seed after him. will have an everlasting covenant established. So, Lord, I don't know how you're going to play this out. I don't know what's going to happen. But if I've got to plunge the knife and take the life of my son, I believe so much in your promises that I believe you'll bring him back from the dead because you are a God who cannot lie. How do you keep from being in despair when you're perplexed? Trust and hold on to the promises of God. That's how you do it. You know, I look at our nation and I wonder, like the Jews in the time of Esther, why is there such a hatred for God's truth, God's righteousness, and God's people sometimes? That's perplexing to me. You know, we are the fastest growing hated people in the world. God's people. Why is it? I'm perplexed like the people of Shushan. Why do people hate God's promise? I mean, God's people. Why do they call evil good and good evil? Why are we called bigots for standing up for what God said is right? And I'm perplexed. Sometimes I stand back like that old cow. And I look at the condition of America's homes. The places children should be nourished and brought up and fed. And it's a wasteland. And I'm perplexed. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I pray to the Lord and I beg God for things and I don't see an answer to my prayer immediately. And I'm like those ladies that look in that tomb and I say, where is he? It's like I believe it was David that said, is the Lord clean gone forever? And I wonder, Lord, look at our nation. Look at what we're doing. Where are you, God? And I'm perplexed. But before I let that perplexion grow into despair, 
I have to cling to the promises of God. What is the promise of God that we need to cling to the most? Romans, the eighth chapter, says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen to this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You see, the Lord promised Abraham that he would have an heir. We're not made that promise. We're promised that we will be the heir. And that we'll be joint heirs with Christ. So yes, this world is perplexing to me. And tomorrow it'll get even worse. And I'll look at things and I'll never understand why they are like they are. And I'm to the point I'm not going to be surprised when the decree comes out to shut the mouse or destroy every Christian that professes Christ. I won't be perplexed. I mean, I will be perplexed by that. I won't be surprised by it. But I refuse to let that lead me into despair. Because when despair starts to come with this nasty, ugly head, I'm going to get on my knees and ask the Lord to renew my mind to remember that I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. And while this world seems to be all there is at moments, it's just a vapor. And the Lord will gather his people and not one will be lost. And we will stand with him forever, clean and holy and redeemed because of the finished work of Christ. That's encouraging to me. So when you pick up the paper tomorrow and you start to become perplexed, get on your knees and remember those promises of God. I hope that's been profitable to you. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.